Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by the Amarillo locations of Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches, and I'll tell you more about them just a little bit later in the show. Right now, I want to make sure that you've heard about my upcoming live show. This is a live recording of the podcast, complete with a special guest, an eight straight, all kinds of stuff, but with a live audience. This live show is going to be at 7 p.m. on Friday, May 10th, and it's the first ever time that we've done this. Tickets are $10, and you'll get to see me interview a special mystery guest. You'll meet former podcast guests. You'll be able to ask questions of your own, and you'll also have a chance to be on an eight straight panel, so you could actually be on the show if you come. This helps kick off Arts Fest, a new film, literature, music, and art festival hosted by Arts in the Sunset. You can get ticket info at hamarillo.com, or the easiest way to do it is to go to the Hamarillo Facebook page. Today's guest is Danny Melius. Now, Danny has created for himself one of the most unique careers in Amarillo because he is an urban farmer, which means he's growing vegetables and selling them commercially from inside the city limits. He's doing it in the backyard of his house and on a couple of lots in the San Jacinto area. His business is called Nuke City Veg, and he provides fresh produce for local restaurants, and he also sells it to the public. Danny's career started after Hastings shut down, and he lost his IT job. So, you know, it's just one of those usual computer programmer turns urban farmer scenarios. I think you'll enjoy this one. Here's Danny Melius. Danny Melius, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. No problem, Jason. Thanks, man. Well, I I definitely want to talk about Nuke City. I want to talk about the stuff that you're doing now. But before we get to that point, I want to talk about all the stuff in the past. So let's, let's start at the beginning. How did you end up here in Amarillo in the first place? I grew up in Dalhart. My dad was in the army, met my mom in Germany. When he retired, he wanted to move back home, so that's what he did. He brought his boys there. And he was from Dalhart? Yeah, he's from Dalhart, yeah. So grew up in Dalhart, went to Canyon um, after I graduated high school, attended WT, got a bachelor's of business with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. And then I think it was like two years in, I didn't like the dorms, and so I moved to Amarillo because I was working here anyway, and that's how I got here. Did I, I'm always interested in people that grew up in some of the smaller towns of the Panhandle outside Amarillo. I mean, mm-hmm. what was your perspective of Amarillo at that point? You know, as a high schooler or as a kid who lived in Dalhart. Sure. I mean, did you was it the big city you came to visit on the weekends? <laughs> Pretty or? much. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Dalhart, so there's not much to do. And I grew up with a bunch of the skater punks that that were there. And you don't think of Dalhart as having a, a skater punk n- community? No, uh, no. Guess. There was there was probably ten or fifteen of us, and we kind of. You know, just ran around, caused trouble, um, skated, got kicked off places. But Amarillo was like the place to come, you know, hot topic. And we came here to get music and, you know, skate. Oh, what was it called? What is it called? Downtown. The the Civic Center? Yeah, the Civic Center. Okay. Yeah, those big stair sets. And okay, so like you that. you would like come yeah. into Amarillo yeah. with your skateboards and yeah, stuff. It was a destination. Yeah, and come to punk shows and stuff like that, yeah. Okay, um, what when was that? Was that like the nineties or Yeah, it was late nineties. Early two thousands. I graduated in 03. Okay. So I mean that's kind of the range. You went to WT, um, eventually moved to Amarillo. Mm-hmm. What happened at that point? Right before I graduated, I tried to buy one of the skate shops here in town. It was 
I don't even remember the name of it. It was down over in Westgate, over by the mall. That ended up falling through, so I was unemployed for about six months after. But that was your like entrepreneurial yeah. event, yeah. small well, business thing. I, I mean, I, I went to WT, the business school, with the emphasis on entrepreneurship because I wanted to run my own skateboard company, which was really hard to do here. I was going to say, <laughs> did you intend to do that from Amarillo? I mean, yeah, a lot yeah. of times that's like, yeah, I'm going to go to California and live sure. in San Diego and run a skateboard yeah. company. I but. wanted to do it here because we had to order all of our stuff online, and I thought it'd be cool to have a, a local board company that had cool product and sold it locally and so that that was what i tried to do straight out of college um and that ended up falling through i was unemployed for about six months i think and then my neighbor had a friend who worked at hastings and that friend was chris valdez who was a project manager in one of their it teams talked to him and i was like i need a job this is what i'm doing you know i need work and he was like well we have positions open in our it department uh, we got some QA stuff. You good with computers? I was like, yeah. I mean, I don't have any like training or anything, but I, I grew up around computers my whole life. So I uh, went in for an interview and I think the next week I got the job and started working there. I worked there for eight years in various roles, mostly QA and development. I was on the web team. So we did a lot of the website mm-hmm. stuff. We also did like the in-store pickup. That was my team that, that worked on that. And that was after I became a developer. So I had a big hand in the developing of the application that the store used to process the in-store pickup. Okay, tell me what stuff. in-store pickup means so from that perspective. People would um, order on the website, right. select a store to pick that item up from. So instead of it getting shipped, they would come right. into the store and pick it up. Okay. And so my, my application, it was started by our technical lead and then handed off to me. Um, but it did the item gathering on the order, so the person working at the store would go to the back, go to the back, pick yeah. up. Or it was actually stuff that was like on the floor, so okay. they they would they would find where it's at on the floor. I think it had like a location where it should have been, and then the employee would process that order after the person came in to pick it up and close out the order, and then that order would officially like charge their credit card. And that was a time when Hastings was. Going through a lot of different transitions. I mean, yeah. it was trying to adapt to a changing industry. Mm-hmm. The stores were changing. They were offering new products. I yeah. mean, it was making that that sort of shift from a video and bookstore to a store that had all kinds of yeah, stuff, including like, stuff. like yeah. skateboards. And, yeah, you know. yeah. And that was that was fun to be a part of. It ended up not working out that well, obviously. Yeah. Because, you know, I think it was middle of 2016 is whenever they said they were filing for bankruptcy and they... At a big meeting, and we're like, we're really confident we're not going to get bought by a liquidator, but we legally have to tell you that you might not have a job in 60 or 90 days, whatever it was. And then they got bought by a liquidator. And it was bye-bye, Danny. And it, it, I mean, you really <laughs> lost your job yeah. in that yeah. 60 to 90-day yeah. period, right? Yeah, yeah, um, it was It was pretty tumultuous and kind of scary. And honestly, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was going to say, did you prepare yourself psychologically for that or did you just assume everything's going to be fine well i mean honestly i was kind of freaking out because i didn't have any of the educational background that looks good on a resume for web developers i mean i had almost 10 years doing various it jobs but i was also going to be competing with 25 other people that were going to be out of a job looking for work in the same field and there's not that many companies here in Emerald that, right. that do development 
Um, and so I was like, wow, I probably don't have much of a chance. What am I going to do? And that's when I started Nuke City Veg. Which is not an obvious transition. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, you're like, really well, not. I lost my IT job, so I started <laughs> some urban farming. Yeah. So tell me, tell me how that happened. Like, I mean, what was the process? I mean, it's going to be kind of a pun, but it was pretty organic. I was gardening just kind of for myself and for fun. When we lived in Germany, my mom had a garden at which I uh, ate myself sick on peas. Um, really? And haven't been able to eat peas really since. But peas as a kid, you did yeah, like peas. Yeah. So. As a kid, yeah. Well, we moved away when I was three. So it was probably like two, maybe had j- just turned three. And I ate myself sick on peas. Like after that, no peas. Like I would throw big old huge fits, even as a 10-year-old. And so I had also, I mean, it, it kind of also goes back to my punk rock background. Like it's a do-it-yourself type thing. Mm-hmm. And it's also a, an unhealthy suspicion of the government and the systems that are in play in our normal daily lives. And so I wanted to kind of capture my food sovereignty that way. Okay. Because there's Just a by lot gardening. of hands yeah. that touch your food. It sure. passes through a lot of companies sure. and systems before mm-hmm. it's on your plate at home. So yeah. you're just like taking all that away. And exactly. I, I was, growing stuff in the backyard. Yeah, pretty much. I just, just for fun, seeing if I could do it. I think the first year it was terrible. And mostly because I hadn't automated anything. Like I was watering at lunch by hand. Right, right. You know, and then coming home, seeing how it looked. If I needed water again, I would. And then I got lazy and didn't water at lunch sometimes. And so stuff died because it's hot here. Right. And you have to make sure you're on top of your water here. And to get better, I started listening to podcasts and stuff when I was at work, programming away. And I found Permaculture Voices, which is a podcast that deals with small-scale vegetable farms, basically, um, and how to use a permaculture kind of mentality on growing veg. Okay. There really are podcasts for everything. I mean, that's yeah. a, a pretty tight niche and, and yeah. you were able to find people yeah. talking about that. Yeah. So I was like, cool. I mean, I'm sitting here coding. I can listen and learn. And through that, there's a series that he did with uh, Curtis Stone, who is a urban farmer in Kiwa, Canada, which is in British Columbia, in a city that's about the same size as Amarillo. And he grew $100,000 worth of produce that he sold to restaurants through a CSA at a farmer's market on land he didn't own in an urban setting. Right. So he was not out on a farm. He didn't have an acreage outside Mm -hmm. of town. He had like some backyards, backyards, front yards. Yeah. 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 Like his house, neighbors, like he whittled it down to where he was like, all of his plots were within a mile of his house just for efficiency and ease of function and stuff like that. And I was like, man, that sounds really cool. And this was before any of this other stuff with Hastings was going on. And I was like, maybe I could do that. You know? So I bought his book. I read it probably in like a week or two and moved my garden. It was on the side of my house. And I moved it into the backyard. And four of his um, garden beds, which is 30 inches by 25 feet. It's a good dimension to straddle. Okay. So your, your pathways you know, are on the outside and in between the beds. To work the bed, it's it's easier to straddle. And plus, I'm kind of short. So that makes it um, more functional for me, too. So I used four of those beds. Um, but just, that, like, took up your whole backyard. I mean, that's a that's well, a big amount of space, right? It, 25 it was, feet? It was 400 square feet. So okay. this is maybe a quarter, a quarter of my backyard. I live in South Lawn, so it's, it's, it's a smaller house. It's a 
three bedroom, one bath, but it's also an older house and they didn't build them that big then. And so I had an above average backyard, okay. you know? And so it was just kind of a corner. And so I had four of those beds and started trying to figure out if I could adapt his systems and functionality to what, what I have here. So with our clay soil, our high winds, our not much rain. This is not a climate that's much like British Columbia. Well, where he's at, it's actually pretty similar. It's high desert, technically. So So it's not like the rainy side. Right, yeah. So our biggest difference here and there is length of sunlight during the day and throughout the season. He has less because he's further north than us. But they also don't get much rain, and they have a lot of high temperatures. So, I mean, it worked out pretty well for me to adapt his way of quote-unquote farming. Not to get too deep into the details of it, but like his way of farming. Explain to me a little bit about how that's different from, let's say, what you were doing. A guy who has, you know, a little bit of of dirt, you know, on the side of his house. You go out, you throw some seeds down, you water it at lunch, that kind of thing. What was he doing that was different from that? It was mostly high-density crops, like your lettuce mixes, carrots, radishes, stuff you can pack together okay. really tightly in a bed, and more of a production idea of of gardening. So when I had my little beds, I had carrots, I had lettuce, I had cucumbers, tomatoes, all in the same like raised bed. Right. Right. So here you kind of segregate your beds based on crops, so... This, the first planting I think I did, I did one bed of lettuce, one bed of carrots, one bed of radishes, and then the other one I had already planted like tomatoes and cucumbers and squash. And so that was the biggest separation there for me. Yeah, and it's just that mentality of production over variety. Okay. Does that make sense? And then you you talked about automation. I mean, you, instead of just trying to wing it, you know, with watering and stuff, yeah. you set up... Systems, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I set up a, a drip system that you can get at like Lowe's. It's got a whole kit, and I think I had to buy extra drip line. But other than that, it was pretty simple to set up at first. So Hastings announced that they were going to file for bankruptcy. I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? I kind of tossed around a couple ideas, and I was like, well, this was already kind of the idea I was going to have, was, right. to, was to move into market gardening and do something different. And it was like a long, long, long-term type thing, you know, or, you know, like on the side. No, right. It wasn't, it wasn't like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to. You weren't going to quit your job. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was going to be. Start like, over like It was going to be like a for fun thing that, you know, we'll see what happens. But with Hastings, you know, I mean, it, it chopped the timeline. It's pretty hard. And right about the time they gave us the notification is when Facebook, I had a Facebook pop-up that they were putting in a, a new market. The Emerald Community Market was going to be coming right. coming downtown out on Polk Street. And, and I had some stuff just for myself, so I signed up as a vendor. And I had some stuff coming up. I had butter crunch lettuce that was actually like ready, ready. So I cut it, washed it in my sink, put it in. They were quart sandwich bags. So I had eight, eight quart sandwich bags that I took to the first day of the market. And they sold out in 10 minutes. Like okay. The market opened at 9, and I was... Packing up and leaving at nine fifteen. Right, and I'm aware that that's not very much stuff to bring, but I mean, was that like it, the very first? Yeah, that was the very first day of the market. Yeah, and you know, 
they didn't have much marketing. You know, it was all on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I I put stuff on Facebook too. You know, just because hey, I'm going to be there. Come see me, type stuff. And I mean, they were gone in ten minutes. So I went home, rented a sod cutter from A1 Rentals mm-hmm. over on Grand, and tore out the grass and the rest of my yard. And so that's what I have now. I have 2000 square feet in the backyard that is market garden production. <clears throat> so Ed, you know, just to give listeners an idea, there's, there's your house, you know, over mm-hmm. in that part of town, a lot of backyards with swing sets and stuff. Yep. You go into your backyard. It's like entirely yeah. garden. There's, there's, there's a strip on the North side of my yard that I basically broke off. My sidewalk runs down to the alley or it, there's like, I have my porch and then a little L of sidewalk that's maybe three feet. So that that was my cutoff point. Mm-hmm. So everything south of that little sidewalk is garden. My son wasn't too happy about that. I kept his play set, though. So I, I moved it from where it was in the yard, and I kind of pushed it up against the fence. And, and just told him to <laughs> stay out yeah, of the lettuce. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah pretty much. And so, yeah, it's, it's a majority. It's almost all of my backyard. And so you you went from that. At, at one point, did you say, "Okay, this is this is going to be my thing. I'm I'm going to you know start a company, give it a name, mm-hmm. give it a logo, and then start selling this on a regular basis." I mean, was it after that first community market yeah. experience? Yeah, it was pretty much. I mean, I was hoping that that was going to be the experience. You know, I mean, kind of in the back of my head because I had already been told that I may not have a job. I was already kind of playing around with thinking about doing this, and it just happened that. I had stuff ready for that first day of the community market and I felt like the reaction was really good. So I, I just kind of had to, I just had to jump in and just do it. And that's kind of where we're at now, you know I mean? So let's, let's give people an idea of how you've grown. I mean, it's just been what, three years? This three is your years. third year? Mm-hmm. Um, well, your this will be summer? my fourth full growing season. Okay. It'll be my third full growing season and my fourth actual year, I guess. Okay, if, if, so so tell me where you are now. You're, you've moved beyond just this one urban, mm-hmm. you know, backyard sure. gardening area. Now, now, what are you doing? Halfway through 2017, Brady from Square Mile Community Development, um, Brady Clark, Brady Clark, yeah, from Square Mile Community Development, contacted me and was like, "Hey." you're doing this really cool thing and we're thinking about putting in a a market on 6th Street for people to come buy their produce. Would you be willing to supply us with stuff, maybe at a discount, because we're a nonprofit? And I was like, yes, I would. Because I was looking at getting more income streams. Mm -hmm. Um, So part of the whole idea is to spread it out, have as much, not as much, but as much as you can manage for your income streams. So like Farmer's Market, CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture, um, where everybody that signs up gets a box every week. Right. Restaurants, commercial places like uh, United, if you want to do that, you know. But because they were new, it was going to be easier to kind of get in there. Um, United, you have, it's the the barrier to entry is a little bit right. high right. there, you know. So I wasn't looking at going to United right off the bat, but, you know, a little market would be really cool, especially in a place that's a food desert like San Jacinto. San Jacinto, yeah. And so I was like, yeah, let's do this. And then he called me a couple of months later uh, to talk. Can, can we meet up? Is, is what he said. And I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm at the house. I'm doing some work, but you can come by and do whatever. And he's like, okay. So once he got there, 
we started talking and he was like, so we were donated two plots of land on 6th Street and we don't really know what to do with it. But I had this idea that you're farming. We're trying to do good in the neighborhood. Why don't we combine that into like a farm project and, you know, you do, you apply your system to our farm and we'll figure out how to go from there. And we'll split the money or, you know, we'll figure that out. Now I was on board because at this point I was looking to increase production, but I didn't have any more space. And you have to kind of knock on people's doors if you want to use their backyard. Yeah. Hey, can, can I put a garden <laughs> exactly, in Exactly, yeah. And I, kind of, I see you're not using it. Yeah. I'm kind of shy in that way. I don't want to just go barge in people's Well, and it's, a, it's <laughs> not a, a common thing here right. in Amarillo yeah. for somebody to, to do. Yeah, and so, you know, having Brady come to me, that was that was just easy, and it was another 7,000 square feet. So wow, yeah. So at about a quarter acre. That was kind of at that point the size that I wanted to grow to in the first place, uh, just based on Curtis's models. And I was like, "Yeah, let's do this." And so we tore out uh, concrete and asphalt at that plot and started planting at the very end of 2017. I think it was like August of 2017 is when we started planting there. We had our first full growing season last year which went really well. I actually did better than my home plot, which I was really mad about because I had a hard time doing the balancing act Mm -hmm. um, between the square mile plot and my house. And so I didn't have as much dialed in at my house as I should have had. And so, I mean, that that's fixed now. And so it's, it's worked real well that way. And my new project in the works is I'm going to be moving Nuke city out to the vineyards of Amarillo. Yeah. My wife, um, her brother was a supervisor on their construction crews on their houses. Um, and they were thinking about putting in a community garden out there. And uh, Jason was like, you should talk to Danny. This is kind of like what he does. And, you know, see see what he thinks and see what you guys can do. And that's how that got started. Will that be in addition to your existing house or will you like actually be moving well, out there to do it? I'm moving Nuke City out there. Okay. So we're still going to be living at the house where I started Nuke City at, but they have allotted like an acre-ish of land that they were planning on doing some kind of communal space at anyway. You know, they they said, use this land for your farm and then sell at a discount to the neighborhood because that's the whole point. And, you know, we'll help you get started in anything extra you can distribute on your normal channels of distribution. So. All right. So now you've got, you know, all these different places where you're growing stuff. Right. You're distributing it in the community garden whenever that opens up mm-hmm. for this year. Um, also to a number of restaurants, right? Yeah. So there, what are some of the places that so we, carry like your greens and some of the different sure. things you produce? We sell to Yellow City Street Food, Six Car Brew Pub, OHMS, and Brent's Cafe right now. Okay. And Blue Crane Bakery. He's, he's, he's got stuff mostly just for himself and his family, but once we get the salad, the, the salad mixes and some of the other veg, he's going to start um, getting stuff for making salads. And so give me an idea just of how this works as a business, you know, where you're, you're not just growing for yourself. You're not just growing in your backyard now. Now you've got, you know, customers that you're trying to please and, yeah. and restaurants that need stuff, and you've got to extend your growing season beyond just 
you know, the weird panhandle weather that we have. So I know that you're using Caterpillar tunnels mm-hmm. and different technology. So tell me kind of what some of that looks like. Because this is still a hard place to grow yeah. delicate crops. I mean, it's it's not as hard as you think. A lot of people have that misconception. Like we grow corn and beef here and that's all we can do. Not really true. Tomatoes have a hard time here during the heat of the summer. But in the fall, after it kind of slows down on the heat, um, you'll get good uh, flower buds and you'll get better fruit that way. But the way you mitigate most of the heat is, or the way I mitigate most of the heat is with the use of water. We do overhead watering, and so the leaves get wet. Mm -hmm. And so as that heat starts to evaporate that water, it'll cool the plant and it'll be okay. We water often but not a lot. So five to 10 minutes in the afternoon. And then in the evening, I do a a heavy soak for that, you know, that growth water. We also use shade cloth, which is, it's a clothy material, I guess. It's kind of, it's plastic, but it blocks the sun to a certain degree. There's like 30, 50, I think 60 and 70, but we used 50 last year at the square mile plot. And I think it was too much. So the stuff that we were trying to grow, like our greens, would get really leggy, which means long. So right. the leaves were really long and the the stem would get really tall and that's not good for eating. So we'll have to fix that a little bit. But like the caterpillar tunnels work really great as a structure. Uh, we string up our tomatoes along the ridge pole, which runs along the peak of the frame. So we can train them up and get better production that way. And it's turn and burn. It's a turn and burn idea. So if you have a crop that's not doing well, you just pull it out and replant something else. Okay. Um, and so that's been part another hard part for me to kind of deal with is recognizing when I need to pull something out and then replanting it with something else. One of the things you do, I know, especially with the community market aspect, mm-hmm. um, you know, with with what Brady's doing, is it involves some of the like local residents and mm-hmm. neighborhood in that process. And so yeah. are, are you like managing volunteers who come out to do that? Or is that like Brady's side of things? I mean, how does that work sure. in that partnership? Brady kind of takes care of organizing the volunteers. And then we'll have a Saturday work day where I kind of direct. Does that make sense? Right. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a 50, 50 thing, you know, kind of basically with everything. But like, there's a lot of knowledge that goes into gardening. Sure. And so you don't want just, you know, some random 13-year-old kid, right. you know, rooting around in your vegetables. Right. right. So and how- so it's a process, too. Um, I'll start somebody off with, like, if it's their first day, you know, they're going to be on weeds because that's easy to differentiate, right? So here's our production stuff. It's in nice straight rows. If there's anything in between, I want you to pull that out. And so on our perimeters... Um, there's grass occasionally, and so, you know, dig that out. Our pathways are really easy to maintain. We have a stirrupo, which it looks like a stirrup on the end of a stick, and it's sharp, and you just drag it along the ground. It cuts the the stem at the root to clear that out. If they come back after that, because not everybody likes pulling weeds, but, like, if you can't pull weeds, you can't garden. Right. Because that's... That's one of the main things that I have to deal with here because you can, you can use a technique to sterilize your seed bed, which is like covering and then flaming the bed. The covering forces the seed and weed germination. So the, the weeds start to grow and then you can uncover it 
and use a flame weeder, which is, I think I have a, it's a Lincoln Electric you can get at Lowe's. It attaches to a propane tank and you just kill the weeds. Well, it just burns them off. Yeah, yeah. And you don't even have to burn them. Like you just make them change color. Okay. You hit them with the flame just barely. And that keeps your microbes and stuff uh, in the soil alive because you don't want to just torch the soil. And so that gives you a stale seed bed for your production plants that you want to put in. But we have a lot of wind here, a lot of wind here, and that blows in seeds. And so yeah. it's all, if you get a windy day, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get weed seeds in your garden. So you're going to have to pull it out. That's, that's where I start everybody because if you're not going to pull weeds and be okay with it, you're probably not going to be able to do much of the other stuff either. To kind of close this part out, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit just about the the business climate mm-hmm. that you've found because you've you started a new business just the last two or three years. Yeah, it coincided with the community market, which was a new thing, and so it's kind of the perfect time for you to be doing what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about like just what you've discovered about either the customers or you know the city right now and the place that we are in starting this new business. Everybody loves the idea. Danny's growing food in his backyard and on 6th Street. And everybody's super supportive. Like the businesses that I sell to, they've all taken a chance on this crazy idea that I've had. I started selling to Yellow City Street Food first and Rin and Scott were super awesome. And when I started expanding and had more production, I started selling to OHMS. And Josh was already like a fan of the page, of my Facebook page. And so... When I called him, he was like, yeah, man, I follow you on Facebook. Come in and we'll talk about it. And I was like, when? He was like, three o'clock? I was like, sure. Um, I didn't have anything to bring to him as like a, a demo. And we just sat there and talked for, I brought him my price sheet. Sat, We sat there and talked for probably 15 minutes. He's like, when you have stuff, call me. So that end of the business has been pretty easy for me. I kind of had to get out of my own way a little bit to make that cold call to Josh. That's not that big of a deal for me anymore, you know. The individual sales at the market are great. Everybody seems to be really supportive and excited about the fact that we're growing vegetables here because there's not that many of us doing it in the first place. Right. And so they have fresh vegetables. It it lasts a lot longer. It tastes it has taste. So they're really excited about that. Um, it's getting people to come out to the market regularly. That's it's not hard. It's just, you know, you're relying on them to be consistent with coming out to the market. And it's on Saturdays, and sometimes you want to sleep in. And when they come to the market, the stuff may not be available because it's been bought already. Right, yeah. You and know. it goes pretty fast. It, go, it does go pretty fast. I mean, I'm usually pretty close to selling out by 11 or 12 o'clock. Right. And the market lasts until 1. And then getting people to understand the CSA model has been difficult, too. Um where people sign up and pay ahead of time for a share of the harvest. I started with, it's, it's, it averages about 10 people. So I had 10 people in 2017. I had 10 people in 2018. Right now I have six people signed up. I think it's the only program here besides Justin Trammell's Meet CSA. Right. And so nobody kind of really, I don't know if they don't understand or if they don't, they have, they're trepidatious about trying 
a new way of getting their. I mean, right. it's, so it's, what, it's like a fresh box. Or yeah, something, you're you're you know? paying at the beginning of the season, and you're going to get a, a box or a sack of mm-hmm. of what you grow. Yeah, but it might be different each time because it's what's in right. season. It's what is sure. good right now. Sure, it's also really consistent usually because I focus on the greens and the herbs and the roots. The fruiting crops like tomatoes, cucumbers, squash. That's only going to be available like for two or three months. Right. But the program goes for like 25, 25 weeks, 20 weeks, something like that. From the end of April, I think, yeah, the last weekend in April is when we, we start delivering or having pickups. I mean, it goes until the first or second weekend in October. But I try to keep it really consistent. So there's not a lot of up and down like you can get sometimes. And that's that's another part of it. Working with the restaurants is, you know, they need a consistent supply of stuff. Right. So that's... That's why the CSA box is going to be more consistent because I'm not just catering to the CSA people. I have three different market streams that I have to have enough for. And so it doesn't make sense for me to grow a hundred different things. It makes sense for efficiency for me to just offer that for everybody and offer this, the core items for everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Thinking back to where you are right now, and the growth that your business has had, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, when you're working at Hastings, mm-hmm. I mean, would you have been surprised <laughs> to see yourself doing this? This totally. is my job right now. It, totally. Like, I mean, I was, I was comfortable and probably kind of complacent too. And so I wasn't really looking to get outside the box. I went to work, I got a paycheck and I came home, played video games, you know, or hung out with my son. I didn't think I was going to be bringing locally grown vegetables to Amarillo and kind of kicking and screaming along the way to get it done, you know, Uh, because, you know, nobody grows their own vegetables here. Some people do, not as many as other places uh, like Austin or, you know, the West Coast or the East Coast. Some people do, but... It's hard work. It's hard work. It's not that difficult once you get your water situation figured out it's it's really not that difficult it's just hard work yeah and so no i i didn't think i was going to be gardening for a, a living and making it work as i mentioned earlier hey amarillo is sponsored this week by jimmy john's gourmet sandwiches with three amarillo locations Sansi and i-40 Western and Olson, and downtown right across from the ballpark. So, number one, eat there before the next Sod Poodles game. That downtown location is open for all games, and the local franchise here, all of the Jimmy John's in Amarillo, are owned and operated by an Amarillo resident. Number two, this show is about Amarillo and the community. So if you need help with an event or you need donations for something that you've got going on, reach out to any local Jimmy John's location and ask for Charles because he's really into giving back to this community. Whoever you call will do their best to take care of you. So go eat some Jimmy John's. Okay, I'm back with Danny Melius of Nuke City Veg. Danny, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you want to. I'll try. Here's the first one, and this is just for you. I haven't asked this of, of any other guests. Among the stuff that you grow yourself, mm-hmm. all right, the stuff that you're cultivating around the city at this point, sure. what's your favorite vegetable? Patty pan squash. It's a star-shaped squash. 
Um, and there's different varieties. There's white and yellow. And some people call them scallop squash. But they're pretty easy to grow because it's squash. But they, they're not a vine. They're a really compact okay. plant. And they produce like crazy. And they taste really good. Like how do you I, how do you eat them? Like what's well, a, what's you, a common way to you can eat them those? just like any other squash. Dice them up and saute them. That's a great way to eat it. They're star shaped or round, but flat. So you can cut them horizontally and grill them and make little squash patties. Okay, um, those are really cool. And the reason why I like patty pans is because they're a firmer squash. They have a lot more of the meat. When you tend to saute squash, it tends to get squishy. Right. And I think that's because of where the seeds are. So on like a normal crookneck squash, if you get them small, which you do at the store, there's not much meat. It's seeds, a little bit of meat, and then the right. skin. Right, And so that gets squishy really easy. But the patty pans, the seeds are all condensed around the stem and so the stem is really shallow, I guess. It has a whole lot of meat on it, even if you pull them off when they're still pretty small. Okay. What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? I know you spend a lot of time like <laughs> looking at the temperatures. What's it going to do today? You know, yeah. What do I need to, to worry about? So what do you like? I like a cloudy day with just a slow, steady rain, which... We don't hardly ever get right. So a, I'm usually fighting against the weather. A trying. nice October drizzle. <laughs> yeah, or something. exactly. Yeah, which maybe if we're lucky, we'll get one. Mm -hmm. I guess like a normal piece of weather, you know, sunny and seventy. So spring and fall, the hundred degree temperatures makes it difficult to grow the greens. Sometimes mm -hmm. I kind of have the ways around that kind of talked about. Um, so that's not as big of a deal, but still, it's a pain especially when you're out in the heat trying to right. harvest stuff. So, yeah, spring and fall. What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? I know you have relationships sure. professionally with several restaurants, but where do you go to eat? I'm going to go with Yellow City. Like, they, they they stuck their neck out at first, and Scott and Wren have amazing food. So, yeah, Yellow City. Yeah, Scott is one of the most creative chefs <laughs> right. in Amarillo. I mean, between yeah. that and Six Car, the stuff that he does mm -hmm. is... You're not going to find that on the menu no. anywhere else. And it's super good. And OHMS comes in a really close second. So. Okay. What does this area have too much of? Cows. Yeah. Too, too much, too many feedlots. Um, You're not doing any uh, urban <laughs> cattle farming no, or anything, no, ranching not. around here. So. Yeah. Uh, in Amarillo, I guess, something that I see a lot, people that are getting into gardening, trying to set up like a hydroponic system, mm -hmm. which is growing plants directly in water. It's a high overhead. Um, it's pricey to get into in the right. first place. You've got a perfectly good lawn that you're wasting water on. Grow yourself some food. Okay. <laughs> you know, in your dirt. It'll taste better too. What does this area not have enough of? Vegetable production. All right. We're known for our beef and our corn, and we export most of that. I think we'd be a lot better off if we took out the structure of the food system that we currently have and localize it. Um, you get healthier food, you get better tasting food. Mm -hmm. It'll last us a lot longer and we won't be dependent on outside sources. So th this is not a question that, um, it's kind of just a follow-up to that. Mm -hmm. if, if somebody did want to just start a little section and garden themselves in their backyard, I mean, what's, mm -hmm. what's like the easiest no-fail kind of thing for them to start with? Radishes. Radishes, really? Yeah, super easy. They don't take a lot of water. 
They don't develop a huge root system. They're, it's really easy to tell when they're ready because they kind of pop up out of the ground. The ones I grow, the variety that I grow, are Easter egg radishes. They don't have that really spicy yeah, that peppery radish kick um, or like constant throughout the eating of the radish. They have a sweet flavor at first. And then right at the very end, as you're about to swallow, they have that, that radish flavor. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? Slow. <laughs> slow in a, in a good way or slow in yeah. a frustrating way? No. Well, it depends on the way you look at it, I guess. You know, we're behind most trends, mm-hmm. national trends, by what, like 10, 10 years or uh, something? Five I've, I've years, heard, three yeah, years. It, yeah. Everybody's got their own number. Exactly. You know, so stuff takes a little bit longer to get here, but it still has that country feel where it's not all hectic and fast paced. It is when you want it to be, but not constantly. So it's more laid back and chill. When was the last time you went to Paladura Canyon? It was last year. We did some uh, family pictures out there. Okay. Um, photo shoot kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not like a regular destination for you? No. I'm kind of the most outdoorsy. It, well, you're out, <laughs> outside all day long. Yeah, right? you know. So you don't need to go spend a, a weekend afternoon outside again. Exactly. And so we usually just kind of stay in. The, okay. bo- the boys play outside, but my wife and I like to just chill and play video games. You Makes know? total sense. <laughs> um, okay, so last question. Uh, I want to see if you'll identify with a certain camp. Are you a Pack-A-Sack guy or a Totem guy? Pack-A-Sack. Why? At first, I bought into the whole Totem has a monopoly and they price fix things. I've let off on that. And yeah, now some of the now, conspiracy yeah, thinking about yeah. the price of gas and all yeah, that. Yeah, kind of I've kind of dropped that just because it's silly me now and so now it's just convenience like i live just before georgia and 58th and that's the biggest convenience store closest to me it's okay pack a sack all right well danny that concludes the eight straight section i like to close by asking my guest to endorse something so what's something that you would want listeners to know about or to experience here in this area our volunteer days at Scorma. okay um, come get your hands dirty Learn what it takes to grow some food here and help a nonprofit do good work here in Amarillo in a neighborhood that especially needs it. Right. Um, San Jacinto. Yeah. I mean, really, if you want, if you're interested like in gardening for yourself, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's the best way to get, yeah. literally to get your hands dirty. Yeah, is, exactly. Is you can see how it works. Mm-hmm. And you're doing good for a neighborhood too. You know, we're, we're trying to do something cool and revitalize that neighborhood and provide them with some fresh food because they're a food desert and they're also low income. So they have a harder time getting that produce. We, we accept SNAP benefits. We're really trying to make it something that is available to the low income neighborhood and help lift them up and do something valuable for them. Okay. Danny Melius, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. That's cool. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jimmy John's for the sponsorship. And also, it's just fun to say Jimmy John's. Also say thanks to Danny Melius for the interview. You can learn more about Nuke City Veg at nuke-cityveg.com. So that's nuke-cityveg.com. This show is produced, written, and hosted by me, but it's edited every week by Angelina Medina. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, Chris Selda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, and Wilson Lemieux. 
You can help keep this show free every week by supporting it at patreon.com slash and go pick up your live show tickets. I want to see a bunch of people at the show. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.